Drew could come back. There we go. Thank you. Jason, save the day. Hey, thanks to the youth leaders who went. I know Emily, uh, Katie, and uh, Micah, and Jackie, man, they gave up their week. They took time off work to do this, so thanks. Uh, what an amazing time to pour out into the next generation. Okay, we got to dismiss kids. Fifth grade and under, you're dismissed. Fifth grade um, down to first grade, go out, turn right. And anybody who's um, under that, go left, I believe. I think if the weather's nice, they're outside. I don't know much about that stuff. So kids, you're dismissed. Nicole's like, don't forget to dismiss kids. I was like, oh, what? Okay. How many feel good today? Man, we had some uh, first-time guests at the 9 a.m. Excited to see some new faces here. So we're just going to welcome you upper room style. Woo! Thanks for coming. Um, Welcome to the best church on the planet. I mean... And we're a little biased, but it is pretty cool. Uh, last week, man, what an incredible sermon. Uh, we're excited to kind of, kind of catapult off of that and uh, come from that into this week. Uh, but before we do that, I'd love for us to just do something special. We're just really honored that Josh and Lydia were here to lead worship for us today. Um, they're, they're friends, covenant friends. They have a big part and an integral part of Upper Room, uh, but they got to lead worship today and lead our team in that. So can you just stretch your hands out to them? They have a beautiful family. Amazing kids, and uh, we'll just bless them. Lord, we thank you for the Roe family. We thank you for uh, just who they are in your kingdom, who they are to this world and everybody around them. We thank you for their hearts to worship. We thank you for their hearts that is after your heart, Jesus. We thank you for their hearts for your presence. And Lord, we just bless them, and we thank you. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. It was awesome. Okay, last week, if you missed it, you've got to go. Uh, we have so many different platforms. There's Vimeo, YouTube. I think YouTube and podcasts are the best ones, uh, but you've got to go listen to last week's message. I spoke on Elijah, and I'm just going to very, very briefly just pull you into what it, what it comes into this week. And basically, Elijah went into a cave season. He was confused. He listened to the wrong voice and not the voice of the Lord, and he allowed, um, he allowed Jezebel to essentially control him and start to question who he was and he even wanted to die he goes on this long journey 200 miles ends up in this cave the the things that you would think would pull him out from previous encounters on the mountain of god didn't so the wind the earthquake the fire didn't pull him out but it was the still soft voice of the lord when we're confused when we're having issues when we're when we're facing chaos you know, we, we begin to run, we begin to, at least he knew, and at least hopefully when that's us, and we're having a hard day, we're having a hard season, a hard trial, we hope, I would hope that we at least run to the presence of God. That's what he's doing. He's running to the mountain of God, and he went there, and it wasn't those things that typically pull us out. And sometimes even good things in the wrong season is the wrong thing for us. So for instance, it was the wind and, the, and, the, and some of that that, pulled, that encountered Moses on the same mountain, but that wasn't in it for Elijah. It was the still, soft voice of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he comes out, and he's whining. He's like, but I'm the only one left. And, he, and, and, and the Lord says, go back. And that's where we're coming back to today is, is going back. And there's some things that we've get, got off track. There's some things that we've got off focus. There's some things that we've allowed to get off of our priorities as a ministry, as a church, as a body of believers here and followers of Christ, that it's time to go back. So he says, go back. So 200 miles he came. He's like, you got to go back. And in that became his assignment. And then he says, and when you go back, you're not going to be alone. There's 7,000 other followers who are not bowing down to Baal, who are bowing down to me. Oftentimes we think we're on this island, we're alone, and the Lord's saying, go back. 
How many of you have uh, been there? It's like, man, I've already done that. I've already passed that test, and now it's time to go back. And that's us. I brought out some old, um, some old art here, and that's meaningful to us. That's, that's a piece that was done uh, called Party in the Upper Room. And uh, then we have this, and this was used almost eight years ago in a series we launched called Family. We're relaunching a series called Family next week, Nicole and I together, and we believe it's going to take us into nearly November to, to Thanksgiving time. Now, we feel that this is a pivotal thing. Now, now, let me just tell you where we're going with this. We believe it's time to go back. I preached a message called The Upper Room almost eight years ago when Nicole and I began uh, officially being the senior pastors here. And I felt like the Lord saying it's time to go back. And part of the going back last week was going back what the enemy has stolen from us. What he's tried to take from you, your family, your inheritance. And it's time to go back and take what's ours. It's time to co go back and take what's yours, what the Lord has planned for you, his, his destiny for your life, his destiny for your children and your grandchildren. It's time to go back and take that. And I believe as a church and as a ministry, it's time to go back and take what's ours and keep on focus and not become a, a missional drift church, but become a missional, a family on mission church. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I read a book called Mission Drift. And it was all these organizations, these Christ-centered organizations that had drifted away from their original purpose centered around Christ. And they became good organizations. Some of them failed. Some of them were still, are still good organizations, but they're not the initial purpose they were intended. For instance, Yale and Harvard were seminaries, but they drifted away from that. And they're still high academic great schools, but they're no longer seminaries that we're seeking after to be the, the best seminary on the planet. Both of them. And some of the founders of one founded the other, the other school. It's this amazing thing of history. I don't want to be a missional drift church. I want to be a family on mission. So it's time to go back. And I believe like the Lord was doing something and, and re-speaking this because here's the thing. A church was never meant to be an organization. A church was never meant to be a business. A church is literally meant to be a family, a body of believers, a people who are just representing, representing Jesus, and it's Christ in us, the body, the, the, the church, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we as a family, we as people then are the church beyond these walls, and we get to, with Jesus in us, the hope lead to his glory. We, 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 get, we get to reveal the hope of Jesus in us to reveal and to lead people to his glory. Now, that's the church. The church is not a building or a structure. Now, the Lord isn't opposed to structure. He's not opposed to being organized, but it was never meant to be an organization or business. And, and there's so many ministries and nonprofits and, and churches that are becoming businesses because they care more about numbers and the bottom dollar than they do about his presence or, or just being in his will. And this is not an attack. I do not have a ministry focusing on other ministries. That irritates the poop out of me. Like, why would you have a ministry being anti-other ministries? Focus on the lost. Focus on the people who need Jesus. Focus on being the bride and actually bringing unity even when you disagree with other ministries. That's, that's the body of believers. We get to be unity. We get to be love. We get to be hope. We get to be joy. And that's the thing of the family of God, of one of the opportunities that we get is actually there's so many church hurts. There's so many people that have hurt uh, people in leadership at churches. There's so much baggage that we and Nicole and I and some of the leadership team here sees that people bring that in and we become that face. Well, here's the thing. Church was never meant to be a place of hurt, manipulation, or abuse. The church was supposed to be a beautiful group of people who are pursuing the Lord and planting Jesus in the center of everything, and out of that flows ministry. 
It was never meant to be this thing where we pursue ministry and hope that life and families birth from that. No, we actually do life together and ministries birthed out of that, and we're just going to the same king. We're, we're, we're hosting his presence. Our number one ministry is Jesus. So in this message is, is why we, we, I was getting this question, you know, seven, eight years ago. Why, why Upper Room? Why are you named Upper Room? And not very many people knew that the day of Pentecost happened in a place called the Upper Room. So they're like, why Upper Room? And then, then you hear Upper Room Dallas, the other Upper Room. And, and you hear, <laughs> it's kind of a joke, which we actually got to hang out with Josh and Lydia at Upper Room Dallas. They happened to be at the same conference we were last October. So, but here's the thing is my dad, Pentecostal, charismatic background, names the church uh, Upper Room Faith Assembly. That was our name, mostly out of the, the influence of the day of Pentecost. So then when Nicole and I began to be the leaders, we're like, okay, who else are we? What are we? What, what as a church are we? And I began to do a word study on the Upper Room in the Bible and how many times it's referenced in the Bible, the Upper Room. And not the one just from the day of Pentecost, but Upper Rooms that were used for various reasons. So that became part of who we were, is building not just as a symbolism of the upper room and the Bible, how it references us, but also a prophetic symbol of who we are and who we are to become. So let me, let me get into this. The, the, the word upper room was used uh, in two different contexts in the Greek. One was for large gatherings or public meetings. There was an upper room, for instance, day of Pentecost. There was 120. The other is more of a private chamber. More of, more of a, a concealed space of safety or, or where, where valuable things are kept or, or maybe even a bedroom chambers or at times a cooling chamber. That was an upper room of intimacy and closeness and very private, secluded, hard to get to. So I want to go through several of these areas in the Bible where they are, but there's some core values that are linked here. And, and I may not mention some of these, but, but let me just tell you, one of the core values of, of here and, and the hope in doing this message is First off, I believe like there was a reset, and, and, and I just feel there's a clarity that's, that's beginning to come. I don't have all of the, the insight or what this new wineskin looks like, but there was a reset through all of what's going on in our society, culture, and, and world right now. And I believe that reset, there was a shaking and a sifting in, in this thing, and, and I believe July 1st to me felt like a January 1st. Anybody else feel like that? And I felt like last week was a redefining of what is the vision for the future. What is, what is the goal, you know, what, moving forward every year, the first couple of weeks of the year, I press into vision and we clearly communicate where we feel the Lord pulling us or, or pushing into for the year. I felt that like reestablish and, 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 and do that again this July 1st. So part of that is if you're here with us today, like, like it's a good time to come in on the building level again because we are rebuilding something. And there's some foundation that's set. There may be some cracks or some things overlooked. And I believe the Lord is reforming, like, like he's re-securing re the foundation and filling some cracks so that we can build again. And, it's, and if you talk to many pastors and churches around, it's this thing like it is like restarting over again. From the co like it was so weird. I, I ran uh, almost to t we ran to like 10:55 first service. It's like a half hour more because I'm not even used to doing two services yet. It's this weird thing where I got I, it was so hard to get used to speaking to a video camera and doing that for nine or 11 weeks or whatever it is. Then when people came back, that was just as awkward. I was like, well, people are here. That feels so weird. And then last week was our first time going back to two services and like, wow, to speak twice and make sure it's heartfelt each time. And like, how's it going to be as good as the first service, you know, that feeling. And last week, my t last service, my timing was totally off. I lost track of time. I'm like, oh, 
okay, guys, you're gone. Like, see ya, almost. But, uh, but here's the deal. It feels like this relaunch, but it's time to go back. It's time to go back and, and, and realign with what the Lord's called us to do. There's things that we could do. There's things that we should do as a church, as a people, as a person, as a believer. But then there's things that I'm, and we are called to do. And it's sometimes hard to get that, 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 that really fine line of where, you're, where you could do it, but what you're called to do. You know, we could do this, or we should feed the hungry, and we should meet the needs of the poor. But what are we called to do? All churches should be doing that. That's a given, right? But then there's things that we specifically as upper room here are called to do. You as a person are called to do. You as a family in a home are called to do. You as a business owner in your business, what's your mission, what you're called to do. And, and this is something that you can translate. So I heard somebody say once, you can't create a, an atmosphere where everybody grows, but you could certainly create one that's toxic enough that no one grows. There's sometimes not, not, not a culture or an atmosphere, an environment. It's, it's not this place where every single person is always going to grow and transform and say yes because we have free will. We have the choice to choose Jesus. It's this beautiful gift. But we could create an atmosphere and a toxic thing with gossip and discord and division and, and all of this stuff to where no one grows. And that's what we want to make sure is that we are not a business, we are not an organization, we are a family of believers that love each other, who have unity, and who are pursuing the same thing, his presence, Jesus, as our number one ministry. So that's a core value, presence, Jesus, number one. Another core value is identity, sonship, knowing who you are and whose you are. That we are sons and daughters of a great big daddy, and it's a wild, fun, adventurous ride. Another core value is, is love. God is love can't tell you how many times people come in here at the onset of even the parking lot or the front doors we feel the love of God here we feel the love of people here we just feel the love I can't explain it we just feel the love that's a core value love God is love the next core value is we have a core value for signs wonders and miracles if Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever he performed miracles he says anything you ask in my name I'll do it he shows us he became the demonstration. He became the greatest example on earth, and we're to be Christ-like. So he demonstrated miracles, fun ones, cool ones. We'll talk about some here in a little bit. So signs, wonders, and miracles. We want to see the unbelievable. We want to see the supernatural. We want to see the unexplainable. Amen? The next core value that we have is freedom. We want to see freedom. People who are truly set free, that are no longer entangled in yokes of bondage, but are truly free. Whether that's religion, whether that's addiction, disease, whatever it might be, we sin, we want to see people set free. Another one is integrity. We want to operate in the holiness and righteousness and integrity in Christ. And then the last couple is, is wholeness. I want to be whole. I want to be healthy in mind, body, and soul. I want to be healthy in my emotions, in my body, my physical as a temple of him, and also, more importantly and eternally, is spiritually. He was broken so we could be what? Whole. So he was broken so we could be whole. And then uh, the, the last thing that summarizes some of this is really the greatest commandment that Jesus summarized, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? Yourself. To love God, love others as you love yourself. And then, uh, so to talk about family. Um, church is not a system to control people. It's a system, and it's a structure. It's a family environment to set people free and lead them to Christ and be transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds. So it's a safe place that where literally people can be themselves. So let me, let me get into this. All right, first one. 
And I've got to kind of rush through all of these, but there's a ton. And I'm going to try to paraphrase where I can and read the ones uh, that are just so that I have to. So this is going back, going back eight years. Who's upper room? And what is the culture we want to establish? And what is, what is it that's within this wineskin where it's an environment for people to grow, right? And this is what something you can reproduce in your home, in your workplace, and, and who you are around you. So first one, Judges 3, 20 through 30. This is a fun story to start with. Pretty graphic. Let me just read the first couple verses. This is fun. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in the cool private chamber in his upper room. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, and he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Graphic intro verse there. That's amazing. So basically, here's what happens. Ehud comes in, goes into the upper room of Eglon, okay? And then let me just, let me just kind of share what's happening. And then we go in, he leaves, he, Eglon dies, and then the servants of Eglon say, well, we must not bother him. And they say this because he's he must be attending the needs in the cooling chamber. So then all of a sudden, enough time goes by, it says they're embarrassed, so they go check on him, he's dead. Now by this time, Ehud's already gone on the journey with the Israelites and in winning battles. So let me, let me just paraphrase and kind of tell you where this plays in the upper room. Public battles are won in private places. The victory is in the upper room. The victory is in this private, intimate place where only he would invite somebody who's close to him in or somebody he at least trusted so he comes in, and then boom, God wins a battle through a creative way. What you see up here during worship and what you see here, yeah, they've had rehearsal on Thursday night and sound check Sunday morning, but really what you're seeing is a public display of a private affection. Let, let me re reward that. What you're seeing up here should only be a display that leads us to the throne of worship that's been happening in their prayer closet, that's been happening in their cars or riding down the road, that's been happening in their hearts. And this truly is a reflection of their hearts who are leading us in worship into the public setting. Our battles are most often won in those private places with the Lord, in this instance, the upper room. Our public battles, our public victories are typically won in the private places. It's the intimate places going on. 2 Kings 4.11. Oh, let me not overlook one thing in that last story. It said a cooling chamber, meaning it was a place of comfort. It was a cooling chamber where they would go and it would be cool, whether through wind or, or, or through a stone area to where it was actually cooler than the rest of some of the other places. It was a place of comfort. Going on to 2 Kings 4.11. One day, Elijah returned to Shunem and he went up to this upper room to rest. It's a place of rest. It's a place of safety and peace. 1 Kings 17, 19 through 23 says that, so it's a story, all right? So Elijah goes, this mom's son had died, and he says, give me your son. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time, but the next thing is, is God brings dead things to life. So Elijah, he goes to this house. The mom hands him his son. He goes up, carries this son to the upper room, and then he lays on his body. Now, we at times say, like, I've heard people, me, before I was a believer, like, God's boring. Then I started reading some of these crazy stories. 
And I'm like, man, God's not boring. I was boring. I started reading stories of people taken up in a chariot of fire, people walking through walls, teleportation, right? There's all these cool things, people walking on water. There's these crazy things. And now this dude's taking a little boy, and he's laying on top of his body, and then he's raised from the dead. Yeah, that, that's not boring. That's crazy. But it's so cool. So here's the thing. God brings upper, the upper room in this instance was where he was bringing dead things to life. Listen, I believe there's some of us sitting in this room that dreams have died, hope has died, joy has died. And this is a place, and this is a ministry, and the Lord should be a place where dead things come to life and dreams that were crushed, dreams that were dead now come back to life. Now there's certain things that we'll get to in a minute. There's certain things that need to die, but where there's death, God brings life. John 10.10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life in what? Life more abundantly. Let me move on here. 2 Chronicles 3.9. This is where uh, Solomon was rebuilding the temple. And it says this in 3.9. It says, the gold nails that were used. Come on, somebody. Do you think God's opposed to excellence? <laughs> gold nails. This is pretty cool. Now, we will never forsake presence at the stake of excellence. Like, we will never put excellence above presence. Presence is number one. But God's not opposed to excellence. Like, it's, it, it sounds really weird if, like, the music was great and then everybody sang off-key. There's something with excellence. There's something that opens up an atmosphere for us to come in, right? There's something that, that when the church is clean, it feels good. It, it opens you more up to receive. So excellence is good, but not at the cost of presence. So then we get to this thing of, of gold nails. Now, when I go to Menards, I'm like, all right, what's the cheapest screws I can get? Okay, those will work. Boom. God, he's like, yeah, gold nails that weighed, it says 20 ounces each. He also overlaid the walls in the upper room with gold. We're talking gold walls, people. Gold streets. Now, why do they have gold streets? So Aaron can have a Lamborghini in heaven and burn those things out. That's why. That's my opinion. So, so anyway, we get to this place. Now, I want to, there's some significance about this gold upper room with gold nails. This was a place, the upper room in this instance was a safe, secure place where valuable things and treasures were held. Now, now let me just tell you this. Upper room here is a place where treasures and valuable things are held. And what are those valuable things? You. He died on a cross because you're priceless. He, he, he calls, you know, he that knew no sin took on everything for the sake of us. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? You and I. You're the valuable things here. You are the treasures that are stored up in the upper room that are protected in a, in a hard-to-reach location that's secure and safe because you're the treasures. Like the enemy, he's going to have a hard time getting to you when you're in here. Why? Because God's in this place. Now, that's not to say he won't try. Let, let, let me move on here. Next, Daniel 6.10. I ran out of time last service, so I want to finish this. Daniel 6.10, it says this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. Now, now the law had been signed that he, who to bow to and how to pray and when not to pray and couldn't pray to that God. So when he found out the law had been signed, there's some laws being signed right now. There's some things in movement. There's some, there's some things happening in our culture, society, and world right now. But here's what Daniel did. He said he went home. Everybody say home. And he knelt down as usual in his upper room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. What society was telling him to do and what he was supposed to do didn't affect what he was doing. 
There's a, there's, a, there's a worship leader in California right now who's leading a charge of worship in California where they're not allowed to worship out loud at the moment. Sean Fowl, he, Foy, Fowl, I forget how to say it. But anyway, he is leading this charge, and every night, the last few nights, he has went to the beaches, he's went to the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's leading these places of worship because no one's going to silence his praise and worship and adoration to the Lord. It reminds me of Daniel that even when the law was signed, it wasn't going to silence him. Even at the face of the lion's den, he was going to the upper room, and he was going home and do what he knew how to do. This is a home. And let me just tell you, I'd love to give you my definition of home. Nicole tried to steal this once and give credit to somebody else. This is my definition. We were at Bethel Cleveland speaking, and she's like, and I heard somebody give this definition. She had it written down in a note. And she's like, I don't know who said it. I think it was like so-and-so or so-and-so. I was like, that was me. Come on, let me copyright that. Let me get some credit at least. No, I'm just kidding. But here's, here's a definition of home. And home, home, listen, I call church home, but I don't live here. Home's not a physical address. I say it's an environment created with love, joy, protection, comfort, security, identity, purpose, destiny, and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Home is a place where you're celebrated and you're valued, and we celebrate who God's called you to be without stumbling over who you're not or who you're not being. I'm going to say that definition again because it's really long, and maybe I should shorten it for speaking purposes. But home is not a physical address. It is an environment created with love, joy, protection, comfort, security, identity, purpose, destiny, and my favorite part, and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I call this home, but I don't live here. I don't reside here. I don't, I don't sleep here often. Every once in a while, I'm here so early or here so late, I'm like, I'm going to the couch taking a nap. I'm not going home. But here's the thing, it's an environment, it's an atmosphere, it's, it's, a, it's a culture that's created where you get to be celebrated and not just tolerated, where you get to be valued for who you are in Christ, not maybe who somebody else is saying you are or who you used to be. Listen, your destiny is way more powerful than your history because God's called you by name. He's called you, Jeremiah 29, 11, he's called you for such a time as this, plans for a hope, plans for a future, plans to prosper you. Let me, let me move on here. The other thing is, it's not just home. He went home, but he prayed in the upper room. We were, we were basically prophesied over by Jake Hamilton that this would be known as a house of prayer. All right, He went to his home, and he prayed. This would be known as a house of prayer where our first ministry is Jesus. And he's like, this will be where prophecy's not weird. Jake began to say, this will be where signs and ha wonders happen, and it's not weird. And then he began to say, this will be a place where people can come to pray and learn how to speak to God and hear from God, and it won't be weird. That's what he said. It's pretty amazing in, in the kingdom and Christianity now. We have to say, like, we'll teach people how to pray, and it won't be weird. It should never be weird. Everybody expresses themselves in a different way. And it's this amazing, beautiful thing where in our worship, people are free to worship how they please. And, and you don't have to be controlled. Like, some people love to paint, and they, they worship with a paintbrush. Others worship with a guitar, and others worship maybe with flags or dance or, or shouting. It's this amazing thing. If we begin to control people, we begin to control the presence and the worship of the heart of God. Everybody's different. So in our communication, in our prayer with God, it's literally just communication, communion with the Lord. Now, everybody gets to do it different. Everybody expresses themselves at a sporting event different, or a wedding different, or a funeral different. Everybody's different. So it's freedom to be who you are, and that's home, but be known as a house of prayer. Moving on. Acts 9, 36 through 42. This is a story 
Um, it's a story of a disciple named Tabitha. That's right, I said a disciple who's a female named Tabitha. <laughs> Females can be in ministry, all right? Just, just so you know, I might mess with some people on that, but it's okay. There was Tabitha, she was a disciple. All right, so basically she dies in an upper room. They call, Peter's in the area. Peter comes, I'm paraphrasing, telling the story based for the sake of time. Peter comes, she's raised from the dead. So she dies and raised from the dead in the upper room. And then here's this, the last verse. It goes on to say in verse 42, the end of it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa. And it's a few things there. First off, there are, there, this is a place of miracles. It's also a place where the things that aren't of God can die. Sin needs to die. Our old natures need to die. My arrogance needs to die, right? My insecurities need to die. My hopelessness needs to die. But Jesus brings things to life that are dead. Like the old Aaron died. And now I'm a new creature, a new person, and I get to sing a new song in Christ. Amen? Anybody else with me? That's the beauty of Christianity. I, the old man's dead. Now, every once in a while, I need to remind that man that he's dead. He's no longer an adulterer. He's no longer uh, hates all people. Like, I didn't discriminate. I just hated everybody. All right? I'm not suicidal and depressed and, and a drunkard anymore. I am a man of God. I'm a son of Jesus. Like, that's who I am. Now, but I had to die, and I'm still in the process daily of dying. There's things in my heart, and there's things that God reveals to me or things I repent of that I need to die in. The girls, earlier, they weren't paying attention. They were being loud. And I just quickly turned my daughter's head in front of her friends. And I sat down next to her, and I repented. I said, I'm sorry I embarrassed you. I should have done that privately. Because there's things that need to die. It's not, it's not about me. And what I don't want is for her to be afraid of me watching her worship versus the Lord being pleased with her worship and her not having fun in church. You know, there's these things that I don't want to become a hurt, but yet we want to be reverent and fear the Lord in a sense. So, so here's the deal. But there's things that I do out of emotion. There's things that, that have to die. But Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Now, here's what I want to say about the miracles. It gets easy when you begin to see miracles to worship the miracle rather than the miracle worker. Miracles are literally testimonies of what God did and what in a prophecy of what he will continue to do. And a miracle is literally a reflection of the Father's heart to just love you or love that person or that, that, that thing. Now, now, here's the deal. At times, that becomes a distraction, and that becomes the wind, the earthquake, or the fire that might pull us out of the cave if we see this miracle. Again, not a bad thing, but if we begin to worship the miracles and not the miracle worker, it's unhealthy. Miracles are literally testimonies and prophecy of the Father's goodness in his heart to love his sons and daughters. So, as we get to the end of this verse, it says, it says and it became known throughout all of Joppa, throughout all of that area, this miracle of raising Tabitha from the dead was known in all the area, and then the last statement says, and many believed in the Lord. Many became believers to the Lord and turned their hearts to the Father because of the testimony they just heard. This is a house of miracles and a house of testimonies that are used to glorify the Lord, not ourselves, to turn hearts to Him and know what the Father in heaven really thinks about Him. Miracles are literally signs of his love. And his signs and wonders, it's the signs that make us wonder. <laughs> Sometimes there's signs like, well, okay, cool, made us wonder. Let me, let me wrap this up. There's a couple more. Acts 20, 8 through 11. It says this. 
and I think Matt, you can go ahead and start heading up this way to push me into closing. If that's what you guys had planned. I don't know who it was. Acts 20. Because I'm already going red, guys. I need to, I need to make it green. Acts 28 through 11 says this. The upper room where we met was lighted with many, many flickering lights. As Paul spoke on and on, as Aaron spoke on and on, a young man named... Just kidding. I'm wrapping it up, all right? As Paul spoke on and on, a young man, na- man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy, and he fell into a deep sleep. He fell three stories to his death. I promise I'm wrapping up to get you all to lunch, okay? I'm not going to keep you till dawn in the next morning, all right? I promise. Verse 10, Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. So Paul's speaking so long, this dude becomes bored. He falls asleep. I've seen it sometimes. I see the head nod every once in a while out there. I'm like, I know, it's, it's cool. I'm not always that entertaining, all right? I get it. Sometimes when you all are preaching, I do the same thing. No, I'm just kidding. I promise. I promise. Only when Nicole is. So as, so, just kidding. Yeah, she wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Probably on Instagram. Every once in a while, I'll be part of these group texts going around. I'm sitting up here trying to preach, pour my heart out, bring the word of the Lord, right? And I'm in these group texts of, like, pictures of me and making fun of me. And I'm like, really? And usually you two are involved. The cameras can't see who you are, so we'll leave it unnamed. But anyway, it's fun. Right? Church is supposed to be fun. So let's get back on track here. So falls asleep, falls out of the window, dies. Paul goes, raises him from the dead. And then here's a part that I want to bring attention to. We, we usually leave this part out. It's very vital. It says, Then they all went back up to the upper room, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn. <laughs> the whole night, which is just funny. But, but at any rate, they went back. After the miracle, then they broke bread together. They had fellowship. They hung out. They connected hearts. They did life. And he wasn't probably preaching anymore. It was probably like, man, did you see that guy get touched by Jesus? That was amazing. And this dude's like, I fell three stories, was dead, and now I'm alive. <laughs> like, can you imagine the conversations that are happening? It's probably over some, like, good fried chicken or something. Like, this is what's happening. So it's not, it's a place of light. So many lights around are flickering. It's a place where light gets to be shined. Shined even into beyond the walls into darkness. We get to be the light of Jesus, and Jesus' light wins always. Then also it's where teaching takes place. It's where we grow in the Lord. We grow in his word. We grow for a hunger even until dawn to listen to Paul speak. It's a place where things die. It's where miracles happen. It's where fellowship and communion and life happens. There's this concept that, that we just bring on staff or we bring on talent. or we bring, That's not who we are. We say we do life and we pray that ministry is birthed from doing life and connected hearts versus we do ministry and hope that, that life comes out of that. That's usually a train wreck. And last, it's the heart connection. It's, it's, it's the fellowship. It's hanging out. I, I just want to encourage you, like, invite people to lunch. Invite people to coffee, like, even if it's not today. Like, get to know one another. 80, roughly 80% of our congregation are, are millennial or Gen Z. 80% is under, under 40 years old. That means 80% of people are hungry to learn, hungry for his presence, hungry to be here against all society odds. When most churches are shrinking in that age group, ours is growing in that age group. 
It's because there is a generation hungering for him. There's a, gen <laughs> There's a generation that's out there that's hungry for a move, an authentic, genuine move of the Holy Spirit, of worship, of good, of genuine relationships and people being real. There's a move. There's a hunger for it. There's a hunger for not just Facebook relationships, but face-to-face -face relationships and people to be authentic and real. That's why they're drawn to us, because we're real. We admit our faults. We repent. We're, we're, we're vulnerable. That's what draws people in, and it's truth. But that means there's 20% of people here that are in the greatest years of their lives when they get to choose typically what they do and don't want to do, and they get to pour out and pour out their gifts and actually be used to, gen to disciple this next generation. We call one mature, and we call the others new believers, right? We, we don't want to call you all the old people, so we call you the mature generation. But to be mature, you have to be mature. So it's our job to teach. It's our job to learn. It's our job to reach in, connect. Even Paul says, when with the lawless be lawless. It doesn't mean I'm, 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 I'm of this world. It means I'm for it. But I get to invite them to lunch, and I get to invite them to coffee. I get to, I get to hang out with them. I get to, you know, I was, I was talking to them, opening doors this morning. I was like, and I met with Brian this week. It was fun. I was like, man, one of the greatest ways we could probably learn the young people is open the doors, be greeters. We want to pour out to them, let's be greeters. Like, that's how we learn new faces and high fives and fist bumps and elbow bumps right now. But for upper room mostly, don't let the health department see us. Hugs. Let me close. Last two, Luke 22, 12 through 15. This is Jesus telling the disciples, and he says this. He says, there, go make ready the place in the upper room. And he says this, and it says uh, around verse 13, it says, so they went and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Everybody say prepared. This, and then it says they, they had the Lord's Passover. They broke bread. They had communion. And this was Jesus in, in various uh, stories here saying where they're having communion together. This is an intimate setting where only the closest people in his life were brought in to this dinner table. There's intimacy at the dinner table. There's connection at the dinner table. There's conversation at the dinner table. So they're connecting hearts. It's a place of intimacy only as close as we're around. But he says, go prepare. They prepared the Passover. This is a place of preparation. This is training grounds. This is a place to take risks. When Nicole had people hold their hand up, hey, who has a need? Okay, go surround them and pray for them. Why? Because when we know there's a need in here, this is easy. We can go pray. We learn to pray for people. We learn and we see the testimonies of God fulfilling that. That way when we get to our workplace or our family gathering or at coffee with this person and they have a need, now I can pray because I've been prepared and I've been in training for it. I'm a place here that's safe to take a risk so I can do it in other places outside of here, beyond the building and structure, but still be the family of God. Let me, let me end with this last one. Acts 1 was where Jesus basically told uh, the 120, told the people, he says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. I've conquered death, hell, and the grave, but go wait, and I'm going to pour out my spirit, right? So they wait 50 days to the day of Pentecost, then all of a sudden, Acts 2 comes, the, the Holy Spirit's poured out, a mighty rushing wind comes through, they begin to speak in other tongues, all people from all nations and all walks of life begin to understand it, there's a common language of love and God there, flames of fire rest on him, this, this mighty phenomenon of Holy Spirit sweeps through and it's supernatural and it's powerful and it's amazing. 
That's the upper room experience, and that's the upper room my dad named the, the church after. And I just went in and dove in, and like, I don't, I don't want to just be that. I don't want to exclude that. That's fun stuff. That's good stuff. That's an invitation for goodness. But there's other things of rest, of re- 